you know, our parents maybe weren't taught to be with their feelings and know what to do with them. So they thought in order to like avoid that pain of being angry and annoyed and irritated by us as kids, they had to control us. And the way you control a kid was to, you know, instill fear into them and emotional or physical fear. And so that has just kind of been passed down through the generations. And I think because of all the new content we have and just so much access to information, our generation is saying, you know what? We don't actually have to do that. It turns mm-hmm. out like that connection is what influences change. And you can make kids change through fear. Absolutely. But at what cost? I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Hey there, and thank you for tuning into another podcast episode here in season five and in 2024. I still can't believe we are already in this year and my intention is slowness. So I hope that I continue to feel that throughout the coming weeks. The conversations this season in the podcast are going to be focused around building meaning in our lives. And part of that really is through the connections we have with others, the connection with ourselves, but also our communities and with our values. I'm so thrilled for today's conversation as we're talking about the connection with ourselves and our children. But true to me being a couples therapist, I couldn't resist adding in the relationship piece. And I really think that this just speaks to the fact that whenever we are talking about parenting our children or connecting with our kids, we're talking about bonds. And we know that dependency is not a bad thing. We are hardwired to connect with others. And so whenever I'm talking to parenting experts and parenting educators and child psychologists about our parent-child relationship. My couples therapist hat is always turned on. And I'm also thinking about that connection with our partner and also with our greater extended family. Today's guest is Shelly Robinson. She is a certified family wellness coach and conscious parenting educator who helps parents worldwide break generational cycles to fill their homes with more loving compassion, calm, and joy. As the founder of Raising Yourself, the creator of the Connected Kid Toolkit and community builder of more than a quarter million besties across her social media platforms, Shelly has been featured on numerous podcasts and TV interviews by platforms 
platforms such as Good News LA, Go Zen, and Mind Valley. When she's not cheering on parents to become more deeply connected caregivers and strengthen their relationships with their kids, you can find Shelly in the kitchen baking with her two children, sneaking in a game of ping pong with her partner, or releasing stress at her weekly boxing class. She's also a coffee enthusiast and neuro-spicy homeschooling mama who believes firmly in the power of Taco Tuesday every week. All right, let's go into today's episode. Shelly, I am so excited to be sitting with you today. And I just know this is a conversation that my community is going to love. And I know that we're all going to need this. So maybe before we start, can we just jump into learning more about who you are? Yeah, yeah. I am the founder of Raising Yourself, and I'm a certified parenting coach and a certified health and wellness coach. So it's been fun to use those two different backgrounds and experiences to really, you know, share that with parents. And I have two kiddos of my own ages, 13 and eight. Um, I am a huge fan of Taco Tuesday. <laughs> and I, I, I release my, <laughs> my stress by going to boxing classes. So that's a little bit about me. Amazing. I love that you use your body to be able to move through that stress. I think it's so important. How did you choose boxing? You know, I've always wanted to do it. I just, I think during the pandemic, when we were really, really stressed, I really needed an outlet for all that pent up energy. And I thought, gosh, I wish we had a boxing, something to punch or kick or do something. And we didn't end up getting one, but we have a boxing club right around the corner from my house that I drove by all the time. And a couple of months ago, probably six months ago now, I thought, I'm just going to try it. Why not? They offer a free class. And I love it. I mean, it's really therapeutic. So there is something to be said about using our bodies to just release all the, you know, the energy and the emotions that we collect every day. One of the reasons why I ask is because I know how important it is for parents, but also for women to tap mm -hmm. into their identities outside of parenthood and yes. work. And, and mm -hmm. oftentimes I, I work with so many amazing women doing amazing things. And yet when we are feeling stuck and we talk about nurturing identities, it comes back mm -hmm. to this place of, well, I really love creating my podcast or I love creating this content or I love writing books. And like, yes, that's one part. Or I love the work I'm doing with my clients. Yeah. Yes, that's one part. But what about all of those other parts? And I know it's really hard for us to identify what is it that fills us up in that way. Yeah. You know, something I did to answer that question for myself that was outside of motherhood and work for me was, and this is how I, you know, got into a little bit of learning to reparent myself, do a little bit of inner child work was I, I asked myself the question, what lit me up when I was a kid, you know? And that seems so like, what an easy thing to answer, but it wasn't for me. It took me some time to figure that out. And mm. what usually came back to me were two really like constant, consistent things, which was moving my body and something with music, listening to music, singing. And so those are the two things when my nervous system is dysregulated, I have to go to music or I have to go to movement. And then when I have both of them at the same time, that's my zone. And I actually just shared that with my kids recently, just for fun. I don't know how it came up, but I loved as I was saying it out loud, like they knew that I had interests outside of them in a good, healthy way. 
And I love to be able to share that with them. And it took me work to get there. I didn't always believe that I was worthy of doing things outside of motherhood and work. It's such a model of what it means to show our children that we get to nurture something about us. And and then this other piece of actually just verbalizing it and making it concrete to even more say to ourselves, I am worthy. I am allowed to do this. I am a boxer. I am, right? Ah, How cool it is that when we honor our own interests and passions, it allows us to more easily extend that to our kids, right? So my daughter loves to draw and she gets lost in her imagination. And my son loves to solve puzzles. I am not, personally, I'm not interested or very good at either of those things. But, and so sometimes I used to be tempted to like, you know, want them to do things that I wanted to do, like come bake with me or come do this, sing with me. And I've had to really confront that and say, who am I to tell them what they're interested in? So it's just, it's really beautiful when you can give that to each other as a family and just allow yourselves to be who you are without changing anything. Mm, The idea of your nervous system, all of our nervous system responds to cues, but to soothe it is going to be different for each person. It's such an important message. We had this night where it just felt like, you know, when you watch the water go down the bathtub drain and it's just spiraling and spiraling, it just felt like one thing after another. And it was like the, you know, it's just the worst night ever. And my eight and six-year-old, right? And we couldn't get out of this funk. And then we put on music. My kids right now love Imagine Dragons. They love listening to... Yes. Oh my gosh. Just something about their music that totally lifts them up. And, you know, then my daughter's kind of in her own dance world. And then my son's dancing across the living room, the dining Uh room. And then we've just totally changed the course of the night. It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com slash I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoccom slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. 
For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom and instead my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using Loop Engage to help dampen the sound around me. And these Loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. You had mentioned already reparenting. So Mm -hmm. let's define this here because I know many people maybe don't necessarily know what that is or even why they need to be looking at it. So what does it mean to reparent yourself? Yeah. And I appreciate that because I didn't know what that was 10 years ago, you know, when I was starting off on my own journey. So I define reparenting as giving yourself what you didn't get in childhood that you needed. Um, It can be really as simple as that. So a tangible example of that would be, let's say that your voice wasn't heard as a kid. Mm -hmm. And that's a really common one that I hear a lot. And so as an adult, you can reparent that version of younger you, you know, when you're five or seven, or maybe it was when you were a teenager, you just didn't have a voice in your family. And so what that looks like in real life and practice as an adult is maybe it's setting boundaries. 
Maybe it's offering your opinion, even though you know it's going to rock the boat, but it's giving yourself back that gift of using your voice and knowing that you were worthy of being heard all along. And so that's just one example of, you know, how you can reparent yourself. For me, my anger was what led me to reparent myself, um, which sounds a little odd, but I know when my kids were really younger and my son in particular, he was my firstborn, you know, we were arguing about, um, something like he wasn't getting in the shower or brushing your teeth or some sort of hygiene thing that, you know, kids don't like to take care of at that age. And I remember getting so disproportionately angry. I mean, it wasn't an emergency situation, right? It's typical stuff. And that was the first time it scared me. It really kind of shook me like the amount of anger and yelling I felt and did. I just thought, gosh, that's not who I am. Where did that come from? And so that forced me to kind of dig under like my own anger and my own temper and say, I wonder if there's something there that's deeper than just me being annoyed. And at that time, that was like 10 or 12 years ago, I had heard of reparenting. I had heard of inner child work, wasn't really planning to do much with it. I was like, that's not, it feels like too out there for me, you know, but really like using my willpower and kind of grit to stop yelling and stop being angry wasn't working. So I started to dip my little toe into this world of reparenting. And then, you know, a dozen years later, here I am. It's just interesting. It's praises. Yeah, Yeah. of course. Right. And, And I think what's really interesting there is that you say to try to stop this anger. And I know sometimes in our, our moments of frustration with our partner, we say those things to them being the couple's therapist. I love sitting in our sessions in in these podcast episodes and taking that parent-child dynamic and then thinking of what we do in our relationship. And what we do with our partners so often is we say to them, you need to stop being angry like this. You need to go deal with this. And instead, or or we even shame ourselves then. We even do it to ourselves. And you're kind of in that space of like, you know, what what's with this and it's so easy for us to just tell us to stop feeling something and yet mm-hmm. we know we don't do we're trying not to do that to our children yeah but then we do it to ourselves or we do it to our partner yeah. rather than being able to say what is this about for you yeah. noticing that anger and what is triggering them yeah yeah, I love that. And I, I love to think about that for our partners and for our children and for ourselves, because it's all interconnected, right? As learning to be a compassionate detective and asking those like curious kinds of questions, like I wonder instead of stop feeling. And I know that when I'm starting to be really hard on myself and shaming myself about my own feelings, that starts to leak out on to the people I love, Right. And so I have to constantly be checking myself and noticing my own inner dialogue so that I'm not letting that escape out to my husband and to my kids. And so, yeah, just learning to be that compassionate detective is really like the foundation of all of this. I love that you're saying this, Shelly. The first section in my book, I divided my book into three parts. Mm -hmm. And the first one is aware. And they're not researched parts in the sense of the process we go through in therapy. But I know that as humans, our brains like beginning, middle, end to a story. And I wanted to shape my book to show that. But essentially what I was saying in this first part of my book is aware, awareness. Mm. You have to understand what's happening in front of you in those really hard moments. And I think that's what you're saying right here as well is it's the 
it's not just about stuffing away the emotion or getting rid of it as a parent, but what actually is that in the moment? What's happening for you? Right. And I think that is really the recipe for breaking generational cycles and stopping. It's, I think of, I think about our anger as like this hot potato of pain, right? Because underneath our anger is pain and fear. And so if we're not acknowledging like the possibility that maybe there's something underneath of that, we're passing that on to someone, right? We're discharging it onto someone because we have not learned to sit with it and observe it and be compassionate about it. And so I always think about that with my kids when I get angry. I like really picture that potato, like leaving my hands and I'm like, nope, I'm going to sit with this and I'm going to notice and be compassionate. So I don't pass that on. But something along the lines of awareness that I thought of too, Tracy, was the word attunement. And I've been thinking about this a lot in the overlap that has in both marriage and in parenthood. And I, I've been thinking a lot, a lot about it lately because my husband and I have been really busy. And so we've been sometimes misattuning to each other emotionally. And I'm always so focused on my kids, right? I'm like, I'm going to be emotionally attuned to them. And then I, sometimes it's easy to forget our partners because they're adults and we're, we're, you know, like they're taking care of themselves and we don't really feel like that's as high of a priority consciously or unconsciously. We think that, but man, when we're missing each other emotionally and misattuning to each other, it really, really shows up and creates a sense of loneliness and isolation. So I just, I kind of had, I shared that with my husband the other day and I was like, man, I miss you. You know, like we've been really busy and we've been missing each other. And I think we've been really misattuned, not intentionally, but just the nature of life. And so it's so cool when you get to apply one principle to multiple relationships. Mm. Oh, I love that. I think that's so important. And I mean, it also speaks to the season that Greg and I have just been in and also have been in many times because our kids are young and this is the yeah. time of our life that we're going to have more misattunements yeah. between us. We are busy. I always love the image of, I don't love that people experience this, but I think this resonates deeply with people, which is, it feels like you're two ships passing in the night yeah. where it's the, you know, I go to bed after getting baby finally to sleep and then you get up and maybe you go to work and then I get up and I, right. And it's like, we're just back and forth and kind of passing each other in the hallway. Mm -hmm. And again, I have so many analogies. So then the other one I love using is our tree branches. Every day we have a choice to consciously grow our tree branches together and they're not meant to be big moments. Our trees don't grow in these big moments. They're small moments every single day. And so each day asking ourselves, am I tuning into you? Am I attuning to you Mm -hmm. in this small moment in the same way that I would when my child gets home through the door and the flop of the bag on the floor was a little louder than Mm -hmm. what it's been before. Yeah. Yeah. It is so easy to just go through the motions with our kids and our partners, especially so, with our partners. Yeah, especially with yeah. our partners. And I think when we can, you know, start with ourselves, and I think it's easy to go through the motions with ourselves, right? Especially as women and sometimes moms who are raised to believe that like our worth is like tied up in our productivity, right? Our days can become very performative. And I am very guilty of this. And I have to be very careful to set intentions every day that like, whether my to-do list gets done or not, I'm still good. I'm okay. You know, like I'm not bad. I'm not a failure, but that kind of thinking makes your culture and your family become a little bit transactional. 
And out of all the places in the world, my home is the last place I want to feel transactional, right? I want to feel relational and emotionally safe. And that always starts with doing that with my, you know, for myself. What are the things that you and your family do to focus on that value of relational? Yeah. Well, so I love doing one-on-one dates and my husband does too. So we just carve out time. It's really just time together. And again, it's so hard to do because we live in a world where it's just, we're all like overscheduled and we're all busy. And so if we don't plan it out and curve it out, it just doesn't happen. So we do a lot of one-on-one dates, but the other thing we do, that's really fun. It's not as often, but I think it's my favorite thing to build relationship is we have kids celebration day. And we started doing this during the pandemic because, you know, like we were also lonely and bored and just like at the end of our ropes. And one day I thought, I'm going to celebrate them for just being awesome. And they're trying their hardest to get through this. And we've kept it as like a quarterly thing. And even though it's not as frequent, I think it leaves a really like a deep mark for them to know that they have their own day. And we spend the day just celebrating them and honoring like all the things that we love about them. And I think that's, you know, and if I don't do it frequent enough, my daughter's just like, it was, it's meant to be a surprise. And she's like, mommy, mommy, are we going to do one of those celebration days that that's, you know, supposed to be a surprise. And I was like, well, that's going to be a surprise. If I tell you, but they love it now. Like they crave that validation. Mm, oh, I love that. That's so fun. I think that's something that we're going to have to adapt into yeah. our family values. I, I just love that kind of acknowledgement of each other and birthdays always feel too far and few or it's really neat to see children celebrate the other people in the family uh just one of the things that I do when I'm traveling is I always leave a note at the Mm -hmm. breakfast table where they sit and I leave everybody a note and um the other day, Greg and I went out for a date night and my daughter was like, don't go back in your room. You can't go in your room. And so when we got home that night, we each had a note to us. And she also did it for her brother, even though they were together with the babysitter. It was so sweet just to see how that transferred over to them. And it was one of the values that she wanted to just take on. Yeah, I love that. I love it when values from kids feel inspired, right? We're not like beating them over the head with it. We're not like, you got to adopt my belief system. We're just modeling what we care about. And if they feel safe with us, they're going to naturally just pick that stuff up without feeling coerced. Okay, Shelly, I want to shift gears into talking about one of your reels that I thought your messaging was just so important in there, but I know people really struggle with some of these ideas. This was the seven toxic behaviors that have been normalized in our society. And I think these ones would be really good for us to call out um, because I know many people still have these struggles with them. Uh And that first one that you had said was that kids need to suffer in order to learn. Can you tell Uh us about that? Yeah, I think that most of us um, grew up with, you know, a very punitive kind of mindset from our parents. And this isn't to like throw our parents under the bus or shift blame. It's just we're acknowledging what happened and how it impacted us and what we would like to do to lessen the pain for the next generation, right? Because I just say that because I know I'm not doing everything perfectly. So I'm just acknowledging that like, we're all going to leave a little bit of a mess behind and we're just trying to make less of a mess for the next generation. But, you know, our parents maybe weren't taught to 
be with their feelings and know what to do with them. So they thought in order to like avoid that pain of being angry and annoyed and irritated by us as kids, they had to control us. And the way you control a kid was to, you know, instill fear into them and emotional or physical fear. And so that has just kind of been passed down through the generations. And I think because of all the new content we have and just so much access to information, our generation is saying, you know what? We don't actually have to do that. It turns mm-hmm. out like that connection is what influences change. And you can make kids change through fear. Absolutely. But at what cost? Yeah. So you have to decide as a parent from the get-go, like what your values are. And if your values with your child are secure attachment and deep connection, then punishment just doesn't, it's completely out of alignment with those things, right? So it it depends. So when people say, you know, I'm going to punish my kid because I want them to be compliant and know that that's how they should behave. I say, okay, you can do that, but you have to hand over a lot in order for that Mm. exchange to work. And I don't think people like to hear that, but it's just the truth. It is the truth. Absolutely. You're going to lose connection. You'll lose that intimacy and closeness. And, And it's really interesting too, when we even think about how children learn one of the things uh, we were talking about recently was just how hard it is for our kids to empty their lunch boxes at the end of the day. And, you know, I get it. I don't want to put my lunch stuff away at the end of the day. I absolutely hate doing these things and yeah. having to keep my room clean and all those adult things. And one of my kids didn't do it the other day. And uh, we we're talking about like, how do they learn? And And I had said, yeah. you know, and we're both on the same page in how we parent and we've still been wrestling with these old ideas. And so when I had read that one, I was like, oh gosh, I think that is such a relevant one that wants to like poke its head sometimes, that there should be some kind of great consequence for not doing something. And I had said to my husband, I said, you know, I believe that our child did learn that when you delay doing the task, you have to do it again later. Right. And it's, it was kind of painful of like, oh, I have to do this and I didn't do it earlier. And that was right. enough. And so this kind of idea of natural consequences as a result of something, yeah. I think it's hard for people to wrap their heads around, but also something needed. They yeah. felt that already. Yeah. And I think it's important as parents to just share with our kids that that happens to us in our mm-hmm. own lives. And mm-hmm. I'll just share an example from yesterday. I spent yesterday doing you know, folding laundry for several hours because I hate folding laundry and I hate putting it away. So I put it off for a very long time. And I was like, I was singing a song about, you know, here's my natural consequence of not doing my laundry. And, you know, but like my kids see me doing that kind of stuff and they know that they're not the only ones who don't want to do the boring chores and that sometimes grownups do that too. And then we have to pay the price of like, you know, our laundry (laughs) debt. But I think, you know, we can, also kind of inspire kids to do that stuff through the two things I rely on as play and visual cues, because I Mm. personally need a lot of like reminders to do things every day. And I also like, I love having music on. I love being silly. And so if I can just kind of like make it a fun thing for my kids, because they have to unpack their lunch boxes as well when they get home, I sing to them. And if they forget, I like dance around and like, I ask them if they forgot their lunch boxes, but in a silly voice. And it just doesn't feel quite, you know, it doesn't feel like an attack. It just feels like, oops, you forgot it happens and we're going to take care of it. Yes. And just making it a little more lighthearted than this performance that they have to like, you know, check the box. And that's sometimes we let that out on our kids because again, we're doing that to ourselves. Right. 
Yes. Oh, that's so true. Okay. Point number two you did was kids don't have the right to question adults. Yeah. I think it's just down to that control theme again. A lot of this is rooted in ego and control. And and if an adult hears that they're being questioned, their ego is activated, right? And they think, who is this kid, you know, half my age or, you know, like just this Mm -hmm. child questioning me instead of being curious. And so it's letting go of that control and saying, maybe I have something to learn here. And maybe this kid should know that their voice matters. And, you know, and I've had to confront that because the first time my kids started confronting me and I encouraged that it wasn't like, oh, this is lovely. I love this. I love being questioned. I had to work through my little like (laughs) figures and little anger that I could feel. And I had that little, like, who do they think they are voice, but I know you have to be able to identify like, that's Mm -hmm. not true. Uh That voice is not welcome here. And that's just like lingering generational stuff that is not invited to the table. Yeah. So yeah, it's just giving kids a voice and also being willing to learn from them. And I swear to God, they're like our little life coaches, right? Because when they question me, I'm usually like, yeah, that's a pretty good question. Thank you. Uh And they think of things that I don't think of, right? Because they're looking at life through a different lens than I am. Uh It really highlights um, being able to teach our children differentiation, that we get to be different, that you can view the world differently and there is no right or wrong. And that is where a lot of adults in romantic relationships get stuck in of trying to say there's one way to do this because Mm -hmm. that's what we were taught growing up. Right. And that's a really good point about modeling for our kids what it looks like to give our partners a voice, right? So we don't always have to agree or have the identical worldview as our partner, but it's like modeling to our kids what it looks like to give someone the space to be their authentic selves and maybe respectfully disagree with us. And, you know, by showing that to them as adults, they can hopefully integrate some of that into their daily life as kids when they you know, confront conflict in their own lives. And they can say, you know what, this person doesn't agree with me, but this doesn't mean I have to like punch them or I have to get angry. You know, I can just respect our differences to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. The other one that you have is it's okay to sweep hard topics under the rug. Yeah. When I think of this, when I think about shame Mm. and I think shame keeps those topics under the rug and Again, I think that's another generational cycle that so many of us are trying to break that our parents weren't comfortable talking about certain things. And we were left to kind of figure it out on our own, probably at a high cost. And we don't want to pass that on to our kids. We want kids to just know that uncomfortable things, and maybe they don't even are uncomfortable. Maybe that label can go, but just things that might feel a little bit awkward are okay and safe to talk about in our house and we'll get through it together. And it's okay if you feel a little bit, you know, weird about it, but it's if all the places in the world to talk about hard things, the family needs to be that safe space. I want to highlight something you had said just now about the other one as well, um, is that you had said this is the intergenerational stuff. And it's interesting when we think about how these messages are passed down and you did a very acceptance-based therapy strategy. So I worked from an acceptance and commitment therapy perspective. And, you know, we acknowledge that we all have hard thoughts and feelings. We don't get to control our thoughts and feelings. And what you did there was you'd said, that's not welcomed at the table. Mm-hmm. And it is very much an acceptance strategy of, okay, so these hard thoughts that have been passed down through years of people show up. I have them too. Mm-hmm. They show up in my mind in the hardest of parenting moments. And it's like, yeah. wow. 
where did you come from? Right. And in those moments, I choose not to shame myself for having this hard thought. I also choose not to act on it because acting on it, it doesn't align with the values that we're trying to instill in our family. You know, the, like the classic one and the other one you have here is kids owe relatives affection. So the classic one is in those moments with family And I hear a family member saying, okay, give me a hug. You have to give me a hug before you leave. And all of my, my, like my people pleasing stuff wants to show up in me to be like, okay, well you go, you have to give them a hug, right? That's just that one example. And then afterwards, if I don't do that, because that's not aligned with how we act with our bodies and consent now, in my mind, I'm then spiraling into the, you didn't do a good job. You did a bad thing. You're supposed to please others. When others say, give so-and-so a hug, you're supposed to give them a hug. And and that act right there of, okay, you know what? This person has shown up, this part, this old part, it's not welcome to the table. It's not our table, not our family table. I think that Mm -hmm. is just so powerful, Shelly, of bringing Mm -hmm. that awareness to that and of when it shows up. Yeah, it's and it's looking at it more objectively just kind of observing it and saying, I notice you sitting there and, you know, you're getting put to the back seat. You're not allowed to be here at the driver's seat. And instead of like what you said, which is, oh my gosh, I can't believe I thought that. I'm so ashamed of myself. Who am I? I'm a terrible parent. You know, just kind of like that spiral that we accidentally engage in. Mm. Um, And I, again, I have to catch myself all the time, not allowing myself to kind of fall into that hole, but just observing it. And when we can observe those kinds of thoughts that we don't want in ourselves, then we can more easily compassionately observe again, our partner and our kids and people in our lives that we care about, because we're all messy. We're all like showing up with stuff, right. And getting triggered and like reacting in ways that we don't really want to, and that don't align to our values. So I know like for my husband and I, I have, you know, been grumpy or cranky or rude. And so many times when he said, instead of coming back at me with more defensiveness or rudeness, he's like, babe, are you okay? Like, is there something going on? And we've kind of learned that together. And we haven't always been like that, but just kind of getting curious instead of like fighting fire with fire, we just say, this isn't you. And, you know, can we talk about what might be like going on underneath of that? And I immediately disarm and, you know, that allows you to be vulnerable and be safe. That person's giving you a safe space now. And so when you can do that with your partners and again, with your kids, it's all very there's so much overlap and it's just creating this environment where it's just safe to be human and it's safe to be you. Your feelings are not your identity, right? One of the biggest conversations that shows up in my community is how do I get my partner and a parent the same as me? How how do we do this as a team? Because here I am doing all of the cycle breaking and the reparenting and the gentle parenting and the positive, right? I'm doing all of those things. And then my partner isn't. And what I was just thinking there was, and for those listening, I want you to imagine doing this. Your partner is in one of those moments with the kids. And this is one of the times where your alarm bells goes off. And mm-hmm. you have a choice. You always have a choice in the moment. So of course, safety, children are safe. And your parenting partner does something, says something that you're like, mm, don't love that one that doesn't really fit. Option one is you go and you interrupt and you say, how could you? Why would you do that? This isn't how we parent together. Or even yeah. you do that in private after. That's option one. But option two is later on when it's just the two of you because you're, you're safe figures together. Option two is you say to them, what happened there? I notice it 
was something really difficult for you. And just like what you had said there, I wrote down the word safety. You're creating this sense of safety first with your partner, with your parenting partner, with your teammate. And then that helps you both to connect, to talk about what was hard and then to grow from there. Yeah. It's so, it's almost a little bit comical to think about being so committed to gently parenting our kids and then being like really mean to our spouses, right? I, I mean, not to make light of it because I, I hear that question in my community all the time as well, but, and I can relate to it. You know, I'd be like, you know, with my children, I'm like, oh honey, let's feel your feelings. And you know, I'm a safe space. And then I turn around to my husband and like yell at him. And so it's like trying to create that congruence, right? Where whoever you're in relationship with, you're applying those same principles Mm. of compassionate curiosity, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about building safe, connected relationships. So many of the principles are really similar and it's not completely apples to apples with a spouse and Mm -hmm. a child, but a lot of them, the foundation is just simply like Mm non-judgment, curiosity, Mm -hmm. um, race, right? And so for people whose spouses aren't on board with gentle parenting, it's an opportunity not to, you know, like coerce them or beat them into like submission until they do it your way. It's just about like, huh, you know, sharing a little bit, maybe about yourself. Like when I started doing this, I believe me, I get it. I was not like on board with this at all. And explaining what you had to do to kind of unpack some of your own childhood to arrive where you are as a parent and to not pretend um, that you're better than if you're giving off that like vibe a little bit, like, oh, my way is superior, but like, hey, I had to actually do some work. And if you want to talk about your childhood a little bit, and that's not often something we do with our spouses before we get married, right? That's just, so it's an opportunity to get curious about their own childhood and kind of talk through that together so that they know you're not trying to fix them, but that rather you're just trying to like model for them what you did. Mm-hmm. And if they feel safe with you, they might they might feel inspired to just try it. Mm -hmm. That safety and connection helps people to grow, not just our children, but also our partnerships. And when we can lean into that a little bit more, then it provides the possibility for something else. And and also too, if we've spent, gosh, and and you know, yes, we have all been on our own journeys and it's incredibly hard. Nobody prepares us for this parenting journey. And, Mm -hmm. and also too, something that I really tapped into in my book is just how hard relationships are Mm -hmm. and that we struggle in them and it's normal to struggle in something that we didn't see modeled to us in a certain way. Mm -hmm. But if we've spent so much time turning to our partners from a place of anger and frustration. And then we wonder why they don't talk to us. We've Mm -hmm. got some work to do there. And it doesn't mean you can't do that work. It just recognizes that we need to come back to building a space of connection and Mm -hmm. attunement. Going back to your word attunement, I love it. It's so important. Yeah. And it's just, you know, something I share my community a lot with with regards to kids and when we find ourselves in conflict with them, it's sometimes helpful to have these like quick hitter kind of like affirmations. And one of them Mm -hmm. that I rely on is we're on the same team, right? Like when we're fighting with our kids and, you know, they're coming at us and we feel like we're coming back at them, it feels like we're enemies. And so in those moments, I just quietly in my mind, I'm like, we are on the same team. And if we can also apply that to our spouses, because I think when we're on different parenting pages, you can start feeling like enemies. And so that just creates more friction and more distance. And just to kind of really internalize that concept and like verbalize it to them, like, I'm on your team. I'm not here to like change you. 
I accept you. We're both working on stuff. And it just gives so much, you know, I just, I feel like almost exhaling when I say that, like what a relief it is to be accepted. You know, no one's trying to change you, but Mm. you're just, you know, creating this invitation that if they want to take it, they can. And I think that's so true when we're trying to influence our kids, like we're just like inviting them to, you know, try on some of the values that we're modeling without coercing and without threatening. We're just saying, you know, this is how we do relationships in this house. And like you said, with your daughter or one of your children, like they modeled right back to you, like, you mm-hmm. know, some cards or, you know, something they had made you because you had done that for them. So it's just so nice when you can be inspired to do something and not coerced or threatened. And it just doesn't feel good to anyone. Mm. One of the things I often get stuck in when it comes to the parenting conversation and just to really ground our conversation is that that sometimes our own shame that shows up. And I know for myself, sometimes it is the the fear that bubbles inside of me of, oh no, I'm not doing all of these things in all of the best ways. And oh no, I've completely screwed my children up. And And then thinking of the work you do with helping parents to reparent themselves, what do you say to those parents? Well, first I can identify with that. I can relate to that. And what I used to do before I started paying attention to my own internal voice was I would lay in bed at night, every night. And I would just like berate myself. It wasn't even like, I didn't plan it. It was just like a very unconscious, like I lay in bed, I put my kids to bed. And then I would just lay there and think about all the ways I messed up that day. Mm. And I would think I'm a terrible mom. And then I would go to sleep and I would kind of like wake up with that residue of right, that inner critic. And it would kind of start all over and it would be like this vicious cycle I couldn't get out of. So I started this practice where every night I went to bed, I listed three things that I was proud of that day. And that was really for me. And it doesn't have a, there's nothing magical about that. And it doesn't matter what time of day you do it, but it's just kind of shifting your focus to like, I'm actually doing pretty well in these areas. And it kind of creates that momentum, right? For doing more of those good things that you're doing instead of being stuck in that vicious cycle of what you're not doing well. So really in an essence, you're celebrating your wins. Pick like two to three wins every day. Just pause and say, you know, I handle that really well. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect. You're still allowed to mess up, but you're just really like soaking in where you're getting it right. I love that you're sharing that because I also know we are so hard on ourselves and we focus on the negatives rather than seeing the moments of connection Mm -hmm. and the meaningful moments that we are doing something different or that we're grateful for. Thinking of this journey of reparenting, of shifting out of these toxic behaviors that have been passed on through generations. What is one thing that the listener should know about creating a meaningful connection with themselves or with their kids? I think the foundation, and I feel like a bit of a broken record, but I think the pillar for that, for creating deep connection with yourself and with your children is that self-compassion or compassion for your child. We just... We can't get anywhere in relationships when we're sitting in a posture of judgment. Mm. Um, It just creates friction and it creates conflict and you don't get anywhere. And I think that relationships are always moving forward or always moving backwards. And I think when you're in that posture of judgment, you're like, you're going backwards with yourself and with your kids. So if, you know, if you can just see yourself and see your kids as flawed human beings who are so worthy of love, no matter what mistakes you make that just spills out into every interaction that you have with yourself and with them. 
I love that. I am here for all of the self-compassion and learning how to do that for ourselves first before we can pour it into others. Thank you so much for sitting with me today, Shelly, and for showing up on the podcast. Where can people learn more about the work that you do? And I also know you have a beautiful deck of cards as well. Oh, thank you. So you can find me on ShellyRobinson.com and I'm on social media. I'm on um, Instagram is Raising Yourself and Facebook is Raising Yourself. And I have a beautiful deck of cards, as Tracy said, at KidToolKit.com that you can check out. Amazing. Thank you so much, Shelly. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Shelley's point around attunement within our family is so important and really stands out for me. Those small moments that we attune to our children, but then also attuning with our partners. Wrapping up today, don't forget to like, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, you can submit your questions to me to be answered here on the podcast. You can do this on my website, drtracyd.com forward slash podcast. I love getting your questions and answering them here. And if you haven't yet and you are looking for something to be different in your relationship, please check out my newest resources. I have 100 questions to help you deepen your connection. This does not take a lot of time. I recognize the busy seasons that we are all in. And if you are looking for more support in your relationship, come learn with me how to communicate, how to connect with your partner so that you and your partner can start feeling more like a team. And that is my online program, Be Connected. You can learn more at drtracyd.com forward slash join. And of course, one of the most meaningful things that I've put out in the last year in 2023 is my book please check out my new book. It's called I Didn't Sign Up For This. It's available on all formats and you can purchase the book wherever you get books. And the audio is only available on Audible. All right, until next time, take good care of you and I will see you next week. Remember this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.